The new DC crime bill, spearheaded by Ward 2 Councilmember Brooke Pinto and endorsed by Mayor Muriel Bowser, unanimously passed the first round of voting, but is facing opposition from activists and citizens due to its controversial policy regarding drug use, public information, and criminal detention. This week, we will be digging into the contents of this new crime bill and understanding its criticism. I'm Lizzie Jensen, and this is Getting to the Bottom of It. Campaign Zero, an anti-police violence activism campaign, has been vocal on social media about the DC crime bill, providing information on its contents and highlighting parts of the bill they deem harmful. Joining me this week to explain his perspective on the bill is author, activist, and executive director of Campaign Zero, DeRay McKesson. Thank you so much for joining me, Mr. McKesson. It is an honor to be here. So, DeRay, you grew up in Baltimore. How have you seen crime and police violence affect the Baltimore and D.C. megapolis? You know, I think uh, for my entire life, the issue of safety has been top of mind for people. There were a lot of years, more years than I can remember, where uh, the city of Baltimore had 300 murders. Uh, You probably know the iconic uh, show, The Wire. Before that, it was The Corner. So the, the conversation about addiction, about crime has always been been top of mind and my family is one that still is dealing with the consequences of addiction and in that era of the 80s and 90s so uh, always top of mind i think the older that i've gotten i've realized that uh, we are not honest about the solutions and that people sort of just do anything and call it a solution and i think that we are back in that moment Alongside a group of activists, DeRay started Campaign Zero in 2015 to address American police brutality and propose a plan for police reform. Most recently, Campaign Zero has taken to addressing several civil rights issues across the country, including incarceration, housing crises, and more specifically, crime resolution in D.C. The secure D.C. crime bill posed by Mayor Bowser and Councilperson Pinto Past the first round of voting last Tuesday, this bill is a 90-page culmination of previously introduced crime legislation, including some more controversial provisions relating to drug use, public information, and criminal detention. How have you interpreted the contents of this bill? Yeah, so what's really interesting is that most people uh, have only been exposed to the PR spin from either the police or the Um, or the council itself. And I'm interested in what does the law actually say? I'm not interested in what people think about it uh, or how people talk about it. So I'll give you an example. You probably heard of the ski mask ban. Yes. Or like people call them pushaisties, you know. Now the word ski mask does not appear in the bill anywhere. What the bill says is any item that covers a substantial portion of the face. Mm. That could be anything. So when we publicly said that could be a hoodie, a scarf, a bandana, or a hijab, people were like, y'all are being dramatic today. And I'm like, well, there are no carve-outs. It doesn't say this doesn't apply to medical. It doesn't say this doesn't apply to religious items that cover your face. This says any item that covers your face, that covers a substantial portion of your face. That is wild. Now, publicly, the mayor and the council are calling it a ski mask ban. It is not a ski mask ban. It is a ban on a host of things that cover your face, and the only arbiter is the police. Now, what they would then say to you is that, DeRay, this is what somebody said to me the other day, it's only only if you commit a crime. The bill does not say that. The bill says if you intend to commit a crime, 
what does that look like? Who gets to decide what I intend to do? The police. So that means that if I'm wearing a hood, run down the street, you're going to your car. I'm running down the street behind you because I'm going to my car too, but I'm running. You get freaked out because I'm just running by, like you experience me as running behind you, I got a hood on. You think that I intimidated you or like you experience me negatively because I'm running with the hood. That is criminalized under this bill. That is crazy. I don't get to be the arbiter of my intent. And so that's how I feel about this bill is that if you just hear ski mask ban, people are like, yeah, but the bill don't say nothing about ski masks. DeRay told me that his main issue with the bill is its vagueness. He feels that the bill is extremely misleading and leaves a lot open to interpretation by the arbiters of the law, the police. Have you heard anything about the drug-free zones? Yes, I have. So what they will say is they're open-air drug markets. We need to do something about it. We should be able to make drug-free zones. When you say that to people, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, that is not a wild thing. The question becomes, what is a drug-free zone? Mm-hmm. What the law says is that they can they can demarcate any 1,000 square feet as a zone. They have to give all these people notice. They got to tell the council person, the council, the mayor, blah, blah, blah. They got to tell people. And they can only do it for like 360 hours consecutively in 30 days. That's sort of what the law says. Those are the confines. On the surface, that sounds like structure. Now, here's the rub is that they can actually do your whole neighborhood. They can do the whole city if they want to. They can do however, they just have to do another thousand foot increments. So there's nothing that says you can't do seven, a thousand foot increments altogether. You just gotta notify everybody. Now, when you notify the council, they can't say no, you just gotta tell them. Well, that doesn't give me any comfort. And the consecutive hours also doesn't matter because as long as you take a break, you can restart. So I can do 15 days on, stop for one hour, and then just start like, so you could actually make a neighborhood indefinitely a zone. There's nothing in the law that prohibits that. That's not even the worst part of the law though. The, the part that is truly wild um, is what happens when they make it a zone. So when they make it a drug-free zone, immediately any gathering of two or more people is criminalized. That is wild. And then it says, that, so then the law actually lists criteria by which the police can arrest, detain, or fine you. Uh, let me just read a part of it. <laughs> this is like the first, there are like seven clauses, but this is the first one. The conduct of the person being observed, including but not limited to, that such person is behaving in a manner raising a reasonable belief that the person is engaging or is about to engage in illegal drug activity. What does that mean? What does it look like that I'm about to engage in illegal? And then it says such as, and you're like, okay, observable distribution of small packages to other people. What? The receipt of currency for the exchange of a small package. Operating as a lookout. What does that look like? Warning others of the arrival of police, concealing himself or herself or any object which reasonably may be connected with unlawful drug-related activity. And here's the kicker, this out ends, or engaging in any other conduct normally associated by law enforcement agencies with the illegal distribution or possession of drugs. That could literally be anything. Right. So the story that Brooke is saying is, 
you know, this is only for people selling drugs. The law doesn't say you actually have to be selling drugs. The law says if you're about, if I think you might, that's, that is so crazy that I am shocked it is both in the law and I'm frustrated at the way that the council's lying to the public. I guess those are a couple of specific parts of the bill that you've gone into. I also want to ask you about the part that will criminalize gatherings larger than two people. So this is one that Campaign Zero has pointed out on Instagram. I noticed a couple commenters on the post saying that that's misinformation and that you're interpreting it incorrectly. So can you address those claims and explain to me how you interpret that section of the bill and why you explain it that way? Yeah, so that's actually the same. That is the drug-free zone section. Oh, okay. The text says, it shall be unlawful for a person to congregate in a group of two or more within the perimeter of a drug-free zone. That's what it says. So I didn't, I didn't like interpret it to say that. It literally says it will be unlawful to be in a group of two or more. <laughs> that is, I am as people's outrage about it makes sense to me. Just don't be mad at me. I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what it says. And this is a quote. This is not my interpretation. It literally says that it'll be unlawful. DeRay has been using platforms such as Instagram to break down the legalese of the crime bill so that more people can understand it. A local DC television station fact-checked the claims made by the Campaign Zero post, but DeRay told me they took it out of context. You know, there's been a phenomenal group of activists fighting about this issue for a long time. And, you know, it's very hard to go up against the machine that is the police and the mayor and the city council. And they just had such a loud bullhorn misleading people. It is misleading to call that a ski mask ban. The mm -hmm. language does not say anything else ski mask. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is that is being dishonest. It is misleading to say a lot, you know, people gave us a lot of, somebody tried to fact check us, um, some local news thing tried to fact, fact check us. <laughs> I uh, saw uh, that though. So that's what sparked my question is because I was- Yeah, so the thing, so what they did that was really sneaky is that they fact check a statement that says it criminalizes all groups mm. of two or more. I think never said it criminalized all groups of two or more. It said that it does criminalize groups of two or more, like within a context. Gotcha. And, you know, I am as confused as other people because I'm like the bill that's literally what the bill says and we think it is misleading to have people try and email us like we made it up it's like this is actually the language of the bill. DeRay told me that the misinformation claim is ironic given that the language of the bill is so confusing that it causes people to argue over what it actually means. McKesson shared with me some of his ideas for anti-crime legislation. With that are there any parts of the legislation parts of the bill that you would concede with or what about the bill would have to change in order for you to agree with it more? Yeah, so here's the thing is that I, I'm with you that we gotta do something about crime, right? Mm. But just because we gotta do something about it doesn't mean that we do anything. And this bill is one of those, like we're just gonna put anything in the thing and call it a plan. And that just can't be okay. So, you know, there's some parts in the bill that also have nothing to do with public safety, but aren't bad, right? So there's some stuff about standards for, um, for food in jail that could be better, but they're not awful. You know, that makes sense. But like this, there's nothing in this plan for prevention. This is a punishment plan. And we've been, Baltimore did that. We've been there. We've been through the lock them up phase and 
crime didn't go down. That's not, you know, Baltimore has had a historic decrease in murders in the past year, and it wasn't because the strategy was lock everybody up. That wasn't the strategy. DeRay then explained the roots of the crime issue in D.C. and how social services and the city's budget come into play. Yeah, so um, here's the thing is that people often say, you know, we need immediate solutions, right? Like we don't, we get the long-term stuff, we need immediate stuff. Now, Bowser proposed, Bowser's proposed budget was one of the largest cuts to social services in recent D.C. history. So when I think about cutting emergency rental assistance, eviction protection programs, youth diversion programs, you probably saw in the news that she fought the food stamp increase really hard. She didn't want to do that. I don't know why people keep talking about those as long term. It is immediate that I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's immediate. That is not long term. That is an immediate solution. It is an immediate solution that I have a place to sleep every night. So when we think about like what can be done, it's like the context of all these cuts to social welfare programs when like things are more expensive than they have ever been. And there's not a safety net. I think it's something like 13% in the poverty rate um, in 2022 is 13% in DC. But among black people in DC, it's 20, it's like almost 27, 28%. To think that almost a third, almost a third of black people in the city make 15,000. That is why for a family of, I think for a family of four, something like $30,000 a year. So until you fix that, we will continue to see a lot of things happen. Because 15, you, you could not live your life in DC at $15,000 a year, you couldn't. You'd be making a lot of different choices at $15,000 a year. Which you, so I wanna know what is the mayor's plan for that? What is Brooke Pinto's plan for that? Safety is more than how do we arrest people? And when you look at their plan, nothing in this, nothing in this plan is going to deal with like the fact that people are committing crimes. It might, it'll definitely put them in prison longer, but it's not going to stop. DeRay also showed me the clearance rates reported by the DC Metropolitan Police Department in 2023. He showed me that in 70% of shootings that year, the police did not make an arrest. So like statistically, you know, it's like, well, I, people know that they're going to get away with it because the police, what are the, what are the police doing? And nothing in this bill is going to change that, you know, like they're yeah. 3,400 officers. So, you know, when you hear the police talk about like, um, the police say things like, well, you know, um, the prosecutors won't prosecute people. Like, da -da -da, they throw, it don't matter what the prosecutors are doing. You're only finding 26% of the people who shoot people anyway. Yeah. The prosecutors, are, you're right. The prosecutors are not prosecuting people they've never seen before because you've never found them, you know? So we're just not having an honest conversation about what's happening. And that is actually the killer. Before we left, I asked Array about his thoughts on Councilmember Brooke Pinto as the representative for Ward 2, the ward that GW's campus is located in. Around this time last year, some members of the GW Board of Trustees voted to arm GW campus police officers with handguns, and I wanted to know DeRay's thoughts on Pinto's new crime bill in relation to the GW community. So I'm just curious, get your opinion, your idea on how you think a bill like this could affect 
even areas like Ward 2, which has one of the lowest crime rates in D.C., but still, you know, has armed campus police officers and how students should react to this bill, how, how it could affect students. I'm sure that there was a lot of uh, local conversation at GW about this and mm -hmm. what it means. And um, so I so I want to honor that and amplify the students who I'm sure push back on this. Yes. I think that what we find is uh, the same story in cities across the country, right? That like giving more police officers guns doesn't make people safer. You know, you think about in the history of school shooters, how many of them were stopped by an officer with a gun? Even when there were officers, right? They just, they weren't doing anything. So I think it is the illusion of safety that people are actually participating in. Uh, I think that if we want to have a real conversation on safety, it is about how make you know, it is better for me and you that all of our neighbors have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. That is a good thing for everybody, right? It's a good thing that all of our neighbors have a place to sleep. You know, like that is actually a conversation about safety. So I think the GW students should press Brooke, right? Should, you know, when you when you hear the story about this bill and you and you think about the very public crimes that are happening in DC, people are like, yeah, we gotta do something. When you read the bill, you're like, well, this is not the thing we got to do. You know what I mean? And that's how I feel about this. I had heard about it, but when I read it, I was like, oh, this, this is not the thing we do. Like, I, you know, we should have a conversation about what we do. And I know the council's like, we've been working on this for a while, but like, you know, just because you've been working for a while doesn't make it a good thing. They've been having a lot of meetings and like, you know, the product is still not good, you know? The Secure DC Crime Bill will face its second round of voting on March 5th, in which additional amendments will be up for discussion and the original language of the bill could be changed. Thanks again to Doreen McKesson for joining me. That's all we have for this episode and we'll see you next time.